Well, I have a lot of ground to cover. I'm going to ask now you can turn, if you're not already there, to Ephesians chapter 5 as we look at verses 22 to 30. But last time I was with you, we looked at God's design for marriage. God has a design for marriage. God created marriage. And we found the design as we opened up with this morning in Genesis. Chapter 2, verses 18 to 25. We came to realize that The design of God is in his designer manual, the Bible. And he's created marriage, and we understood and looked at one thing about marriage. Marriage is rooted in creation. Most importantly, we also looked at man has tried and is trying to redefine God's design. And man, very often to his own detriment, will put practices in place, pragmatic practices that are not the design of God. So today we look at instructions, roles and responsibilities for wives and husbands. And you may find this passage convicting. didn't set out for it to be that way. It may be very convicting. It may be very challenging. But as we prayed for, there is grace for us. And most importantly, there have been instructions given. In chapter 5, verse 18, the instructions are that we may be filled with the Spirit, empowered by God to be who we are in Christ. And particularly today, the wives and the husbands we are called to be. Now, instructions are here, but I pray that we get these instructions as they are of the utmost importance but there will be transformation. Not just information given to us, but the empowerment of the Holy Spirit be upon us all. So that is the prayer. Let's read our text. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to start at verse 21 to 30. The title of the message is God's Instruction for Wives and Husbands. Verse 21. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, Be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he may sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, that he may present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church because we are members of his body. If you're taking notes, very simple outline. Verse 22 to 24, God's instruction for wives. Verse 25 to 30, God's instruction for husbands. Now, let's begin. We see a command in verse 22. The command is, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, the correct way to read this, 
just to be on track, is to read it from verse 21. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ, and what the text says, wives to your own husband as to the Lord. Now, we see this word, be subject, which is hupatasso, and it means to be subordinate. Be subordinate to your own husbands. Essentially means to submit. We see in the New King James, the ESV will render the word submit. So we see, wives submit to your own husbands. We could look at this verse and say, we could read it such as and quote it and say, wives submit to your husbands as you would to the Lord. Now for some wives, it may have been easier or might be a Easier pill to swallow in this day and age, not necessarily you, but for many, if the verse said, wives, submit to the Lord. No problem with that. Amen. Or it may be easier to say, wives, love your husbands. But what we're seeing here is, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And essentially, by submitting to your husband, you are submitting to the Lord. It very much has, like many passages we've seen, a very vertical truth that we see played out in the horizontal realm. So we see that we may find this in this day and age to be strange, but it wasn't strange then. And there is a bridge we have to cross. Just by a show of hands, how many of you cross a bridge to get here each Sunday? A couple of you cross a bridge, and that's important. It's important that we come to this realization because we must cross a bridge in the pulpit very often. And there are many bridges that you cross when you pick up your Bible. And one such bridge today we cross is the bridge from the 1st century to the 21st century, from Asia Minor to Tottenville, Staten Island. Now, while this may have seemed strange, it was not strange at the time. What would have been strange is what we see for the husbands, this servant leadership model. But I'm aware that many may see this and say to themselves, I have some objections. And we'll go through a couple of objections. But let me say something from the onset. Societies change. This was written very long ago. Cultures change. But understand, you know where I'm going to say next, the word of God does not change. Let's look at possible objections that many that I have heard. Not from you, by the way. A potential objection is this was written a long time ago. Times have changed, for goodness sakes. Women are CEOs in the world right now, and praise God for that. Amen. Women did not have the sociological status that they had then that they have now. And Paul is writing this. This is a first century Jew that's not even married. Now, there are two reasons why we must object to those objections. And the first one being that this is Scripture. All Scripture... 2 Timothy 3.16 is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training, or instruction in righteousness. And we must understand the scripture that is read here in 2 Peter 1.21. No prophecy of scripture ever came, ever was made by an act of human will, but men moved of the Holy Spirit spoke from God. 
Paul is speaking from God. That's number one. Number two, very often in the New Testament, Paul may be addressing a situation that's happening in the church, in the world at the time. Paul is not doing that here. Paul is basing his argumentation on creation, as you see that later on in this very text. So we have a command here, wives be subject, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, and we are given a reason, and a comparison is made in verse 23. Why? For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. Now we see this creation mandate. Where are we getting this from? Well, Paul is getting this from last what we covered last time and what we covered this morning. Genesis 2. 2.18, we saw that it was not good for the man to be alone, so the Lord would give him a helper suitable, compatible to him. Now the man gave names, in verse 20, to all the livestock, the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Verse 21 in Genesis 2. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man while he slept, took one of the ribs, closed up in its place. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into the woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, then the man said, this is at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she's taken out of man. In God's design, there is a headship, and the man is the head. And interesting enough, after the fall in Genesis 3, 9, Yahweh calls out to Adam. Yahweh calls to Adam because Adam was responsible. Now, we see this comparison as Christ is the head of the church, and we've seen that language already in Ephesians 1, 22. And he himself being the savior of the body. That's a unique phrase. Essentially, that means Christ is the protector and provider of the body. And there is a relationship to the husband as well. Now, there is equality, though there be headship, absolute equality. But there is subordination, like I told you. And I want you to consider something Paul writes regarding this in 1 Corinthians 11.3. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man. And the man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. That's a structure in place. Now, headship is important, and we saw an example in the fall, Genesis 3.1, of headship that was out of order. And Adam did not lead accordingly. So we also see now, as we transition to verse 24, I draw your attention to that, another comparison and a command. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands and everything. Now understand one thing. You are not submitting to tyranny. That's not how it's supposed to be. You should not be coerced or bullied or manipulated into submission. But wives, this is voluntary submission. As we're going to see, you're to be submitting to something good for your well-being. Now, submit to your husbands in everything. I think maybe a couple of red flags just went up. In everything? 
leads us to ask the question, wait a minute, is there a time when the wife is not to submit? The answer is yes. When should the wife not submit to the husband? When the husband is influencing the wife and wanting her to do something God forbids, number one. Number two, or attempts to keep her from doing something God commanded. Submission does not mean that you are a doormat, wives. Submission does not mean that you do not have an opinion. But this is a structure and a design by God. Now, it is the duty of the husband to draw the wife closer to God. And that leads to another scenario and another question that I want to address then, because I've had some conversations. What about when the husband is not a Christian? Certainly not honoring God if you're not a Christian. What do you do? What you do is you submit to God. That's what you do, wives. And for your edification, I recommend you go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. And you will see that your behavior is very important. So what do you do when he's not a Christian? It's there for you. And I'll read two verses. In the same way, wives, be subject. You submit to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won over without a word by the behavior of their wives. Now, there's a lot in there, so I recommend if you're in that situation, you go there. But there are obstacles I understand, and you understand, to submission, certainly in the 21st century. And it could be the first century for that matter. It's called the fallen condition. Our hearts are deceitful. Our hearts are deceitful and we're self-centered, whether you be husband or wife. You see, when it comes to marriage, you may follow your flesh. You may follow some vain imaginations of what you might have thought marriage to be, what you think it should be. You may follow some delusions that society in Hollywood portrays marriage to be. What influences your thoughts, wives? Understand, you must have the conviction that this is God's word. And we see many things, when it comes to marriage and beyond, being built on the wisdom of man. It is flawed. And it's collapsing at rapid paces. These man-centered models for marriage. And we could easily succumb, to some extent, to seeing things from a multitude of ungodly influences around us in this day and age. Influences that would want to usurp the word of God and formulate these ungodly ideas. And consequently, we do not want to be a people who are tossed around by every wind and wave of doctrine or not even influenced by false doctrines of man anyway. And there are many isms in our day, many isms that or could be very much obstacles for young women, and certainly older women alike. And one such one is egalitarianism. Now egalitarianism, like complementarianism, states that men and women are equal. Amen. In the Trinity, they are equal, but there is subordination as we looked at. But you must understand, there are distinct roles that God, that God has put in place. Not legislation, not the state, God has put distinct roles in place. And what egalitarianism attempts to do is dismantle those roles for the sake of political correctness. Here's my opinion. When you see a man making believe he's a woman competing in women's sports, that is a byproduct and a fruit of egalitarianism. 
And it's attempting to make its way in the evangelical church, and for many, it already has. So what is another obstacle, wives, that would maybe prevent you from submitting? And the reality is there could be past hurts. There could have been situations before you came to Christ, and you have some reticence about this word submitting, because maybe, maybe you were hurt in the past. I understand that. But understand was we're going to look at what you're submitting to in a minute. But the path to submission is by the Spirit of God. Be filled with the Spirit. And you want to be Christ-centered. Ladies, treat your marriage as submission to God. Okay, now another obstacle, and be candid with you here, in a wife's submission to the husband may very well be the husband. I debated saying that, but I said it. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Maybe the husband is not doing his due diligence, seeking the Lord, and thereby not shepherding the wife correctly. You see, in verse 23 of Ephesians 5, it speaks about a, husband, a wife that is to respect the husband. Now, I want you to understand something. You submit to God first and foremost, but it's a lot easier to submit to a husband that you respect. So this leads us to God's instructions for husbands. Now, we're going to see what the wife should be submitting to in the best case scenario. What is the husband? This is going to see, we're going to see a model of servant leadership in a Christ-like fashion. And the command given to the husband is to love. It's a sacrificial love and a self-love. We'll look at both. Now, verse 25, let's look at it as I read it. Husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Those are strong words. Now, self-sacrificial love we've seen in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. And self-sacrificial love of Christ should be emulated by all Christians, to some extent. We're called to replicate Christ, to replicate this love. This is an agape love, and we've said it a lot. It's not an emotional love, but a volitional. It's a volitional love. It's a love of choice. And a great definition for this love is this, as follows. An act of the will of one who desires and seeks the other's highest good. Husbands, seek your wife's highest good. And we see the comparison here that Christ loved the church and gave herself up, gave himself up for her. Now there's an element for the husband to submit here. It doesn't say anything about submission in the text. I want to read you, I want to read you something that it's been said by various commentators. What does it mean to submit? To give oneself up for somebody. What does it mean to love? To give oneself up for somebody. You're laying down your life. You're seeking her highest good. What is her highest good? There's a multitude of things. That could be a whole host of things. Can be subjective. Well, I know her highest good. It's this, her highest. You know what her highest good is? That she be nurtured in the admonition of God, that she be drawn closer, that you bring her into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And as a result, one another. As the head, it is your responsibility to lead her with the intent of nurturing her, building her up into godly maturity. Just as Christ loved the church self-sacrificially and gave himself, we may have to make sacrifices as well. So we see verse 26, a purpose clause. I'll read verse 25 and see how this flows in again. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her. Having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, more than likely, possibly, that's a reference to Ezekiel. Chapter 16, verses 1 to 16. But what Christ has done, he has sanctified her and is sanctifying her, the church. This is an ongoing work. He has cleansed her, the church, and is cleansing. There is sanctification. There is an ongoing consecration in each of us individually and as the church. And this ongoing consecration in the life of the wife, the husband has a part to play, to shepherd her, to lead her, so she may grow into spiritual maturity, Christ-likeness, so that she may be brought closer to the Lord, and you will be brought closer to the Lord. You know, marriage has often been called a triangle. Have you ever heard of this description? I'm going to imagine a triangle right here. Okay, here's a triangle. God is at the head of the triangle. Right? Here's the wife. Here is the man. When the husband is leading the wife closer to God, what happens to the husband and the wife? They become closer. They become closer as the triangle is like this. They, as the husband leads the wife closer to God, they become closer. And maybe that's not happening. Brothers, husbands, maybe this is culture shock for you. Because the, the reality is, I didn't grow up with this. Wives, maybe you didn't grow up with this as well. You didn't see this exemplified in your parents. You didn't see this. You came to the Lord maybe later in life. And husbands, maybe you're saying to yourself right now, how in the world am I going to do this? Well, there are steps. There's instructions here. To fulfill your role and responsibility, as indicated, number one, be filled with the Spirit. Be seeking the Lord. Have the correct mindset and mentality that as I told the wives, consider marriage submission to God. Husbands, you consider marriage as submissions to God as well. And love your wife as Christ loved the church. You have the model that we will see. But there are practical ways. As Christ loved the church, Jesus was pretty intent, intentional about prayer for the church, prayer for his bride. Jesus interceded for his bride. We see that throughout John's Gospel 17 and beyond. So pray for your wives. Very simple. Be praying that they be nurtured, that they be brought into this godly maturity. Now, another way, simple. Schedule a devotional time. You don't have to have a degree from Westminster Seminary. Just sit down with the scriptures. 
Have a time, maybe, whatever it is at night, whatever works for you, have a time where you can discuss the Word of God. Also, have conversations. Did you listen to any script, uh, sermons today? What did you think of the sermon I sent you? Send things of that nature. Tuesdays. Did you listen to the Tuesday sermon? What did you think of it? Did you not realize something? So be engaging. Be faithful. Just as Jesus Christ was faithful to the point of death in God's design, that's for us as well. We've got to be faithful. We've got to walk the walk. We have to be committed. Now, be faithful, be committed. And we look at a, a commitment in verse 27, and it's a long-term commitment. Now, I want you to consider something here. Verse 27, I draw your attention. Let's read it. That he might, speaking of Christ, present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Now, I want to read you a quote from the Reformation Study Bible. As I researched this, I thought it was very beneficial and very, very good. And here's the quote, particularly about verse 26 and 27. Quote, Christ has committed himself in his relationship with the church. He has washed her from her sin and is preparing her for a glorious destiny with himself. Husbands are called in like manner to adapt their lives to their wife's needs and provide their growth and development. End quote. Now at this point in time, we must consider the bride of Christ before she was the bride of Christ. Ephesians, as I've noted, is the ultimate Cinderella story. It's a rags-to-riches story. And there is a great makeover process happening right now. As Christ sanctified, the church is sanctifying. I don't know about you, but these makeover apps, have you ever seen them? There's apps on your phone you can use to make yourself over. To get rid of all the spots, all the wrinkles, in a matter of minutes, and they can make you look flawless. And some of you have often gone, and maybe you've seen it on, on, on television or YouTube, maybe you've gone yourself for a makeover. And wow, I never saw myself like that. Understand, brethren, the church is not now what it will be. It's going to be glorious. There's an extreme makeover process happening. You see, in human terms, basically the church was a girl who could not get a date to the prom became the prom queen times a thousand overnight. You see, this church, before they were in Christ, were like the baseball team, the Bad News Bears. But then they became world champions. And the process is happening. Now, they will become world champions. But let's look at this for a moment. Verse 27, and he might present himself to church. He might, and this is ongoing, in all her glory. Before Christ, you had no glory. Having no spot or wrinkle. Before Christ, we have a lot of spots and wrinkles, and we still do. But that you would be holy and blameless. We were not holy. We were not blameless. But in Christ, in Christ, 
the ugly bride will become beautiful, radiant, spotless in the age to come. See, Christ has a long-term plan for His church. And husbands, we got to have the same commitment long-term for our brides as well. There's the nurturing process that's ongoing for her sanctification, that her growth and maturity should develop. And what we do now has a reaps dividends later. Now, just as Christ has committed himself to his church, so ought we. For they will have, the church, a glorious destiny with himself. But the continuous work of Christ is ongoing, and all work as husbands is ongoing. Now, some of you are saying, as husband and as Christ? Do you know my husband? You may be saying to yourself, my husband is sinful. My husband is not perfect. Christ is. But in God's design, in the power of the Spirit, we are called to emulate Christ. That's simple. So the question needs to be asked. Wives, is your husband bringing you closer to God? Husbands, are you bringing your wives closer to God? If not, today's a great day to change, to refocus, to rededicate your marriage. You know, I know this is convicting, but it has to be said. What if there was an evaluation? Kind of like the Bema Seat judgment to some extent. And the Lord sat me down and said, did you bring your wife closer to me? I want that to be a yes. Unequivocally, certainly. And that needs to be the case. Maybe it's a struggle. Maybe marriage right now for you it is just you're holding on. But in the power of the Holy Spirit, may God illuminate your minds and refresh our minds and empower us to be who He's called to be and understand it is a process. This is not magic. It's a process. It's God's. It's God's decree and it's God's work. But we are called to do what we are called to do. Now, husbands, if we are not drawing close to the Lord, it's a good possibility we will not have the capacity to bring our wives closer to the Lord. I remember a conversation some time ago, years ago, with a man. He called me up. He had had a, a, a drift with his wife. And we got to speak, and we started to evaluate this. So was there any infidelity? There was no infidelity between the husband and wife. But there was infidelity with God. You see, they weren't faithful with God. And over a period of time, they drifted. And he asked me, could you help me get my marriage back? Could you? I says, yeah, I'll help you. But you have to understand, first things first, you've got to get yourself right with the Lord. That's so important. And if you find yourself in a marriage that is struggling... Or maybe it's not where it needs to be. There's no condemnation for us in Christ. Please, please, understand the instruction given. We want to be drawing close to the Lord, but first and foremost, that has to happen before wife or husband can be mutually drawing close as well. So I recommend that we evaluate that today. So we turn our attention to the second way to love, verses 28 to 30. Husbands, 
ought to always love their own wives as their own body. That's a command. Another command. And we're going to see some comparisons again. He explains the next verses like this. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. Just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. We have to realize that marriage, as we saw in Genesis, is a covenant. It's a one flesh union. The two become one. Now, another quote that I found very beneficial from the Reformation Study Bible is as follows regarding this, these verses. A person's union, quote, with his or her own body is intimate and permanent. So protecting and providing for one body is natural and instinctive. You see, selfishness has no place in marriage. But what the verse is teaching at husband's, When you meet the needs of your wife, you're meeting the needs of yourself. You'll find that you will reap the benefits spiritually. You see, doing what's best for her is best for you. That's what this verse is teaching us. And the comparison again is made between Christ and the church. And we'll look at that last next message, God willing. This is a high calling. But the instructions are clear and concise. How do we fulfill such a calling? Well, I told you to be filled with the Spirit, but start viewing marriage as unto the Lord. Unto the Lord. Remember that when I'll use the vernacular. You ready? When you're getting on each other's nerves. Remember that this marriage is unto the Lord. It's a very good possibility if you're in Christ and the husband or wife you have is the husband or wife Christ gave you. Consider that as well. Because we are members of his body, verse 30, the unity of the body with Christ and the unity of the husband and wife. Understand the unity here. There's the one flesh unity. Must, must know that. United in Christ, the church in Christ, united. The bride and the groom united. So is the human husband and the wife. This is God's pattern. And for those who are getting married, understand one thing with this one flesh union, and it's a long-term commitment. It is till death do you part. I always tell young couples, whether it be counseling or just speaking, be prepared to see each other at your worst. What kind of a thing is that to say? That's realistic. And when you see each other at your worst, consider your marriage as unto the Lord. So, instructions have been given, and the Word of God is your ultimate authority. In this text, we see God's roles and responsibilities as per God's design for wives and husbands. And again... This might be new to you. This might be difficult to you. You've got a whole world going 90 miles an hour in the other way. And here's the Christian going steadily in his own way. Maybe you didn't grow up like I told you. This could be a foreign foreign scenario for you. But this is God's design. And the temptation is for us not to fit 
our imaginations, our designs into God's design. That's a temptation that we, have, we all have. But we want to be molded and shaped as per God's design. Now, for the single people, the same is true for you. You're submitting to God in all things. We have to have the correct mindset and be filled with the Spirit. And the key to this relationship is submission. And as we saw in verse 21, submission is an evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, the instructions have been given. And many times we learn through instructions, amen, we have to. But we need, as I told you, the transforming power and energy of the Holy Spirit. But we have an example. We have an example when it comes to submission and when it comes to love. We have Jesus Christ, who did both extraordinarily. For example, how did he submit? John 6.38 For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me. We see Christ's submission. The king of the universe. The alpha and the omega in the incarnation. In Philippians chapter 2 verses 6-7 to Paul writes, Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of man. That is inspiring. That is the model of submission. We have Christ. So when we are struggling with submission... Understand, wives, as you're submitting, you're not to be submitting for the sake of, look at me, I'm submitting. You're submitting to something good as per God's design. And it's up to the, the husbands to fulfill that. As we submit as Christians, we must have the mindset that God's ways are best for us. God's design is best for us. We can wrestle with that. I'm fully aware of that. Now, when we submit... We are pledging our allegiance to God. And we pledge our allegiance in word, but we're to pledge our allegiance and submit in deed as well. To our spouses, we are to submit. Husbands, lay down your lives. Do what's best for them, as we see the example. But we also see the example of Christ in love, in submission and in love. A focus on Romans chapter 5, verses 5 to 11. Now we understand something. If you're born again, you have the power of the Holy Spirit. Also, verse 5, the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. That is a very important aspect of the Christian life. We need to focus on that. Verse 6, and remember that bride, that picture of that bride who is not so beautiful, consider Christ loved. While we were still hopeless, at the right time Christ died for who? The ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone who would dare to even die. But God demonstrates. Christ demonstrates His own love towards us, that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Much more now, 
much more than having been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness nor remission of sins. For if while we were enemies, verse 10, understand if you're not in Christ today, society may call you righteous, maybe a nice person, but it's clear. If you're not in Christ, you're an enemy of God. Verse 10, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more having been reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. Reviewed it this morning in Sunday school. Saved. Are you saved? What are you saved from? Again, I'm going to say it. You're saved from the wrath of God. By the propitiation, by the atoning work of Jesus Christ. And not only this, we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus to whom we now have received reconciliation. You see the example of Christ in submission for this redemption plan in eternity past? And you see how He exemplified the love? That's for us, to the best of our capabilities, by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Christ is not only our example, He is our reconciliation. He is our substitute, our self-sacrificial lamb who could only do for us what we needed. He loved His own, even to the point of death. Those who were enemies, those who were sinful, those who were not beautiful. Brothers and sisters, those husbands and wives who are married, I'll speak to you first. Let's take today, maybe you got a great marriage, but let's take today to rededicate and refocus marriage by God's design, the roles and responsibilities, and the instructions. And for those of you with spouses that are not saved, pray continually. Let your conduct be exemplary, as per 2 Peter 3, 1-7. But I will also say for those who are not married, your life is in Christ. He is your all in all. And it's important that you submit to Him as well. There's application for you as well. And maybe now you're not married. Maybe you will be married. Maybe you were married and no longer, as maybe circumstances have come, which that makes the case for you to say, Let me submit myself to God and let God place whomever, whatever, in my life. Now these instructions for marriage, we call it instructions for wives and husbands. You could also call this message submission to God. Marriage as submission to God. That is the purpose of our marriage and for His glory. For the glory of God, may our marriage reflect that. And next time we get together, we'll look at this picture of this bride and groom, Christ and the church. We'll unpack that. God willing, next time, let's pray. Father God, we are grateful, Lord. I speak on behalf of my brethren. We are grateful for what Jesus Christ has done. 
Oh, Father God, thank you, Lord, for the cross. Thank you for redemption. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the instruction of the word of God. Thank you for the example given by Christ. Now, Lord, I pray for myself. I pray for this entire congregation. I pray for those who have the Spirit of God. I pray, Lord, that they be energized and transformed by the Word, by the Spirit, by the grace of God. Oh, Lord, do a mighty work in us, Lord. Don't want to try and do this in our own strength. Empower us, oh, Lord. And, Father, I pray for those who are not yet part of your bride. I pray, Lord, today that they will understand that it's Christ and Christ alone. There is no other way. If there's another way for them to be saved, then Jesus Christ died needlessly. He died in vain. There is no other way. There is one name given among men under heaven by which they may be saved. Lord, I proclaim Acts 4.12 as I pray now. Let them understand and let them come to the truth. Let them be reconciled For they are enemies now, but let them be reconciled by the blood of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.